Howdy, and welcome to Wise About Texas, the Texas History Podcast. I'm your host, Ken Wise, and I want to thank you very much for tuning in today for a little bit of Texas history. I'm releasing this episode in the summer of 2018, and it has been a scorcher. In other words, the situation is normal down here in Texas, but I hope you're staying cool wherever you are. For this episode, we're going to go back to a difficult time in Texas history right at the end of the Civil War. After Lee surrendered the Army of Northern Virginia in April 1865, it took a little while for the news to reach Texas, and in fact, the fighting continued. The economy of the Confederate States was not very good, and as the war progressed, it got even worse. Confederate money wasn't worth much. The situation was similar in Texas. Texas was impacted a bit less by the Civil War, but still in a very significant way, and the financial situation was dire. I mentioned the fighting continued, even though the country was collapsing, and the last battle of the Civil War was called the Battle of Palmito Ranch. That's P-A-L-M-I-T-O, Palmito Ranch, near Brownsville. Now, some historians contend that this battle doesn't count for various reasons, but in the history business, that's not unusual. It's commonly thought of as the last battle of the Civil War. The point is, once the Civil War ended, things had were slipping into a state of confusion due to the situation with the government and the situation with the economy. Basically, the Confederacy was a land without a government. What good is law and order if there's no one to enforce it? What was going to happen to the Confederate economy? Things in Texas quickly descended into chaos. During this confusion, a gang of former Confederates decided it was time to get rich quick. They'd do it the old-fashioned way. They'd steal it. And not just a little bit. These guys wanted the whole load. They were going to rob the Texas Treasury. On April 9, 1865, General Robert E. Lee, the greatly respected former U.S. Army officer and general of the Confederate Army of Northern Virginia, rode to the courthouse at Appomattox, Virginia, and surrendered his forces to Union General Ulysses Grant. The Civil War, for all intents and purposes, was over. But that answered only one very narrow question, which is when the combat would end. The fighting was just beginning. See, during the Civil War, the Confederacy was a separate country. As such, it had its own laws, it had its own economy, and had its own society. Well, when you fight a Civil War, as we did, and and I'll mention here, in my opinion, probably the darkest period of American history. It was a terrible thing. Uh, And it destroyed the South. Um, And once you have a country like the Confederate States of America defeated in a war, surrendering their country. The officials no longer were officials. There was great confusion about the state of things, legally and economically. And it was important that the Union, and Lincoln, President Lincoln recognized this, it was important that the Union act to reconstruct the Union before and prevent as much chaos as would have been prevented. Um, Because with no law, you obviously are going to have chaos. The economy was important. Confederacy, Confederate money was worthless now. I mean, think about that. What if our money was all of a sudden worthless? What would you do if the money that you had would buy nothing? Couple that with no law. The laws of the Confederacy were essentially invalid at the time. There's no law enforcement. 
So you can see that is a total recipe for chaos. In fact, if you go back and you read about the period of time right after the end of the war, during the summer of 1865 around Texas, there are lots of firsthand accounts of looting occurring in Houston and for our purposes of this episode, Austin, all over the South. People were grabbing what they could get. In the midst of this, what happened to the Confederate military? What was their status? Well, all of a sudden, there was no command. And the Confederate units, of course, were scattered all over the place, from the eastern seaboard all the way into Texas and New Mexico. Mainly, the men sort of wandered home. And uh, the fighting was over. Uh, There was no army to belong to. So they started to disband and go home. But not Joe Shelby's Iron Cavalry from Missouri. They refused to surrender. In pre-Civil War Missouri, Joe Shelby, Joseph Shelby, from Lexington, Kentucky, he built a hemp plantation in Missouri. Hemp was used for rope. Rope was used to bind cotton. So he was rich. He owned steamboats, and he was said to be the largest slave owner in Missouri. Well, Missouri is important because Missouri and Kansas was a very hot-blooded battleground over the issue of slavery. That conflict in that area of the country gave us such infamous characters as Bloody Bill Anderson and William Quantrill. It also gave us Frank and Jesse James. In fact, I'll direct you to my friend Chris Wimmer's Legends of the Old West podcast, specifically episode five. He does a great job of discussing some little-known history about the Missouri-Kansas conflict. That's where Joe Shelby came from. Now, when the war started, Joe Shelby had to make a choice. His family back in Kentucky were actually sympathizers with the Union, but his personal economic interest lay with the Confederacy. So he made his choice. He was offered a commission in the Union Army, but he turned it down. He formed his own cavalry unit, joined the Confederate Army, and he fought in Missouri, Arkansas, and Kansas. And during that time, if he had fought in that area, surely he would have known Jesse James. Well, fast forward to the surrender at Appomattox. The Confederate Department of the Trans-Mississippi, which is the Confederate Army west of the Mississippi River, in conjunction with General Lee's actions, also decided to surrender. But Shelby wouldn't surrender. He was going to head south. So he took his unit, several hundred men, all their cannon and equipment, and he headed for Mexico, where he ran straight into another war. He made it to Mexico, but he ran into a revolution. Benito Juarez led an army of rebels against Emperor Maximilian. Maximilian had been installed by the French. Well, when Shelby ran into the rebels, uh, some accounts say he sold his guns to Benito Juarez and went to Mexico City to fight. Now, sold his guns is probably not exactly accurate. I have a feeling they were confiscated by the rebels. In any event, Shelby's men started to scatter, and he took who was left, and he went to Mexico City. I read one account where they actually saved some of Maximilian's troops from an attack by the Juarez rebels, but I couldn't confirm that. In any event, he saw action. Shelby actually lived for a time in a house that belonged to our old friend Santa Anna, of all people. He went to the Emperor Maximilian, and he said his his fellow Confederates and he were ready to fight for the empire. Maximilian would not allow it, probably not trusting him. 
but he did allow many former Confederates, and Shelby was by far not the only one. There were tons and tons of Confederate officials and citizens who fled to Mexico at the end of the Civil War. Maximilian assisted this effort by allowing them to set up colonies throughout Mexico, which will be another episode. Suffice to say, there was turmoil during this revolutionary time, and during this time, many of those former Confederate settlements were attacked. But for our purposes in this episode, just remember that Shelby and his men were in Marshall, Texas at the end of the Civil War, and he marched his men with all their equipment to Mexico through Corsicana, Austin, San Antonio. He crossed into Mexico at Eagle Pass. And by the way, when he crossed the river, they had a ceremony where General Shelby sank the Confederate guiding into the Rio Grande River, which is now referred to as the Grave of the Confederacy Incident. So Shelby headed into Mexico. But we need to go back to Austin. Austin, of course, had remained the capital of Confederate Texas. And the Capitol building uh, stood on the Capitol Square. And behind it, to the northeast, was the Treasury Building. This is the same Capitol building, by the way, that um, played such a significant role in Episode 9 of Wise About Texas when we talked about the 1873 election and the armed standoff between the Reconstruction Republicans and the newly elected Texas Democrats. So go back and check that out. I've talked about the chaotic situation around the state, including in Austin, the Confederate government governor, Pendleton Murrah, had gone, had fled to Mexico with many other Confederates. One resident of the time, a lady named Amelia Barr, wrote a very interesting diary that was later published and a great firsthand account of the times in early Austin. She wrote about this particular time right after the war, quote, everything is confusion. There is no law, close quote. But there was a former Confederate officer named George Freeman, George R. Freeman. Freeman was from Hamilton, Texas, and he decided to organize a small company of men to try and at least protect the Capitol until order could be restored in Austin, and it's a good thing he did. Why? Well, do you remember a quote? It's a famous quote from a bank robber named Willie Sutton sometime in the 1950s. His quote was that he robbed banks because, quote, that's where the money is, close quote. Well, on the night of June 11th, 1865, some men decided to put that theory into action, only they were going big. They were going to rob the state treasury itself. As night settled in on June 11th, Nathan Shelley, a former attorney general of Texas and later, after Reconstruction, became a Supreme Court justice, he found Freeman and told him that something was going on around the state treasury. He thought some men were trying to rob it. Freeman sounded the alarm. Freeman and his volunteers raced to the Diederich building. That's where they were keeping their guns, their armory. Now armed, they ran to the First Baptist Church, which was near the Capitol building. They noticed that somebody had posted guards around the fence of the Capitol, and they could hear metal striking metal somewhere near the state treasury. So Freeman and his men charged toward the Capitol. The guards the robbers robbers had posted fired quick shots at Freeman and his men and ran into the Capitol building. The volunteers ran after them. They ran into the west side of the building, and they made it all the way across the building to the east side without meeting any resistance from the robbers. The robbers were fleeing. 
they got into a position, they ran outside the Capitol and toward the Treasury building, and they got where they could see the robbers running out of the building. Some of them had hats full of coins. Some of them had tied their shirts up and put coins in them. So you can imagine it was an awkward-looking scene. But one robber remained. As Freeman and his volunteers entered the Treasury, he managed to get a shot off that hit Freeman but didn't wound him seriously. He fired another shot which blew the hat off another volunteer but didn't hurt him. The robber finally confronted some of Freeman's men in a stairway. He had a pistol in one hand and a hat full of coins in the other. He took at least two bullets from Freeman's volunteers and cried out that he was mortally wounded and surrendered to the citizens. One volunteer chased the bandits uh, from the treasury, and he described the scene as the bandits fleeing in a scattered fashion toward Mount Bunnell. And those of you listening in Austin or have been to Austin will know where Mount Bunnell is. So they were taking off to the west. Well, Freeman and his men took the bandit to Swisher's Hotel, then at the foot of Congress Avenue, to die. And he did. But before he died, he spent a lot of time cursing his fellow bandits as cowards who ran at the first shot. But he wouldn't name names. The next day, Freeman gathered a posse and headed out west. He never did find the bandits. He only found scattered coins that the robbers had dropped as they fled. Well, what had he found in the treasury? When they entered the treasury, they found money everywhere. It's said that Freeman's men were literally wading through currency and other financial instruments scattered all over the floor. Unfortunately, this was Confederate money, and it was worthless. What the robbers had done is they had taken pickaxes and broken through the backs of the safe, which would have been thinner than the sides and the doors. I suppose the theory of the time was you put the safes up against the wall and they would be okay. Hopefully your safe has uh, got a thick back on it. The robbers had punched holes in the safes and reached in and gotten the gold and the coins. And they got away with some gold coins. The case, by the way, remains a cold case in the state. So who might have done this crime? Well, first of all, it was organized. They had guards, they had men, they had a scheme for opening the safes. They knew where everything was. Well, rumors began to fly that none other than General Joe Shelby, who was at that time in Austin with his Iron Cavalry on his way to Mexico, had something to do with this. Shelby vigorously denied this, of course, and he went so far as to tell everybody that if they didn't stop spreading this rumor, he was going to burn Austin to the ground. Well, no arrests were made. But 30 years later, 32 actually, in 1897, something very interesting happened. Shelby died in Missouri. He had gone to Mexico. The turmoil had uh, made it untenable to stay there, so he eventually moved back to Missouri and went into business. Well, he died in Missouri, and in 1897, many newspapers began quoting in the form to write the obituary. They were quoting from a biography of the general that was written by one of his aides. Now, historians criticize this biography as wildly inaccurate. Nevertheless, the important part of the biography is it said that it was Shelby's men, not Freeman's volunteers, that had saved the treasury from the robbers. Well, Freeman got wind of this. And he and another one of his volunteers started writing newspaper or letters to the editor of the newspaper to correct the record. And one of the volunteers that wrote alleged that he heard the name Rab or Rap shouted by the robbers during the skirmish. Well, 
Rap, the name Rap. There was, in fact, a man named Rap in General Shelby's Iron Cavalry. His name was John Rap, originally from Missouri. But he was living in Austin when the wars, when the Civil War started. He joined a Texas unit, was wounded, and returned to Austin to live. So he was there at the time. There was another eyewitness, by the way, to the Treasury robbery and the skirmish that followed. Her name was Johanna Domsky. Johanna lived near the Treasury, and when, of course, when she heard the guns and the shouting, she ran out of her house to see what was going on. Well, it's said that the wind lifted her skirt and a bullet, a stray bullet, passed through the skirt, narrowly missing her. So she almost got shot in the melee. But she remembered and recounted seeing John Rapp among the bandits. Interestingly, another Austin resident fled town right after the robbery. His name was Ben Thompson. Now, Thompson is well-known in Old West history as an outlaw, a gambler, and a gunfighter. Later in his life, by the way, he was elected city marshal of Austin probably 20 years after this happened, so he eventually rehabilitated his reputation, but that's another story. Right after the robbery, he took off. Why is that curious? Well, it's curious because Ben Thompson had raised a company of men during the Civil War to protect Austin from Indian attacks. The captain of that company? None other than John Rapp. The man killed by Freeman's volunteers during the shootout, he was in Thompson's company too. Well, the bandits were never caught and the money was never found. It would be worth millions today. So if you have any tips that would help solve the great Texas Treasury robbery, please call the Texas Rangers. Now we come to the segment of the show called Getting There, where I tell you how to go see a couple of the places I mentioned in the episode. Uh, George R. Freeman's home is a historic home located at 200 West Main Street in Hamilton, Texas. So if you're up there, it's a great area to go dove hunting. So head up there this September and uh, check out George Freeman's home. He is buried, however, in Oakwood Cemetery in Austin, Texas. Ben Thompson, later city marshal of Austin, a reformed outlaw, is also buried in Oakwood Cemetery in Austin, and you can visit his grave there. Mount Pinnell, that I mentioned in the episode, uh, is located on Mount Pinnell Road. Um, If you go out 35th Street west of what's called Mopac in Austin, Texas, uh, you'll run into Mount Pinnell Road, and on your way out there, be sure and look for any coins that might have been dropped in 1865. And that wraps it up for another episode of Wise About Texas. Please follow the show on the Wise About Texas Facebook page. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Wise About Texas. And if you'd like to support the preservation and promotion of Texas history, go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, slash Wise About Texas. Thanks for listening. I hope everyone's summer continues to go well. Good luck on any road trips with the family. And be sure and subscribe to the show on iTunes or the podcast app of your choice so you can take a little Texas history with you as you travel this summer. Go out and do something for Texas today. And until next time, God bless Texas, and we'll see you down the road.